Washington State presented quite the challenge for the Ducks up in Pullman a season ago, and they're one of the biggest trap games this season for the Ducks as well. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked on Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day, and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. If you have not already, please like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, wherever you listen to or watch the show. I greatly appreciate all of you out there who have done so already and continue to do so. And I appreciate all the question askers out there who are in the mailbag. Any of you can be a part of it. The questions are absolutely rolling in. The mailbag is jam-packed, but you can be a part of it because the question will always get answered at some point here on the show. This one uh, coming in via the YouTube comments, by the way, which is one way. You can also hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. DMs and mentions wide open. This one from Skirt May 1563 and then a space and then the number 34. Don't ask me. Ask him. Hey, Spencer, love your podcasts. Appreciate you. What are your three teams that could be a potential trap game for Oregon, depending on how the season goes? Let me know your thoughts. So I do think Washington State is an answer here, which I'll get to. But I think what most people are going to jump to is the Texas Tech game. But the definition of a trap game is one that you can easily overlook, but could cause you to stumble. And Oregon actually has several opportunities for that to happen this year, given how the schedule shakes out. And the three teams I have in here are all in there for kind of the same reason, but also kind of different reasons. So Washington State is the biggest one to me because the Cougars are not going to be a bad football team this year. I think Jake Dickert has really raised, and Leach did this first with his great run there, you know, in terms of the players they can get there and just the caliber of coaches that they now attract. They have raised their floor as a program. Do you remember the old Washington State? The old Washington State went up against Brian Bennett in 2011, and we were blowing them out by halftime. They were a bottom dweller. They were terrible. They are no longer like that. And I think Dickert is a really solid coach, and he's built a clear identity, and he's got a great quarterback in Cam Ward who's got a lot of potential you know, make some mistakes every now and then, but we saw what he's capable of a season ago. He's a dynamic playmaker and NFL type quarterback because he's got a good arm. He's very mobile and he's got good size. So Washington state to me is the number one trap game on the schedule. I don't think the answer is Texas tech because to me, that's a pretty clear and obvious game, right? It's kind of on the border of trap game versus high profile game. But I think it just squeaks into the high-profile department, not because we're going up against Tyler Shuck, our old pal, but because Texas Tech was a good team a season ago, and we are playing them in Lubbock. So to me, that's not a you know game you overlook. Do I expect Oregon to win? Yeah, I think they're the better team. But do I think it's going to be particularly easy? No, I do not. So Washington State's your number one trap game there. One of the reasons is not just that they're a solid team with a really good quarterback that can score points, but also have got a ferocious defense and a smart defensive mind at head coach. I also like the offensive coordinator they brought in, Ben Arbuckle from Western Kentucky. But this game happens after the Washington game. So the first five games for the Ducks, Portland State, Texas Tech, Hawaii, Colorado, Stanford, by 
and then Washington and Washington State. Now, when you have a game circled on your calendar, the way Oregon is going to for the Washington game, which we do every year, by the way, but even more so because of the disaster that happened at home a year ago, the players that were on last year's team, of which there are still many, are going to be that much more motivated to go up there and win that game. They're going to give every single thing. And win or lose, I think that's going to be a physical, hard-fought, emotionally draining game. So it's big that after that particular contest in Seattle, Oregon comes back home. But when you have that sort of matchup that everybody's aware of in the preseason, that everybody's going to be talking about, that could be college game day. I mean, it could be a big, big deal. Win or lose, it is easy to have a letdown the week after. Washington did it a season ago. They went on the road. They were playing a big game against UCLA. Both teams were undefeated at the time, and UCLA won. And Washington then had to go on the road again the following week, but they were playing a bad Arizona State team. They lost. They shouldn't have lost that game, but they did because the UCLA game has a lot of hype. Now, whether you win or lose a game, it can still have the potential for a letdown, you know, and the great teams are able to stay at that level week in and week out and play their best football consistently. But that's why I think Washington State is the biggest trap game on Oregon's schedule there because you're coming back home. I don't think we can be lulled into a sense of confidence just because it's the Cougs and just because we'll be at home. Win or lose that Washington game in Seattle, there's going to be a different vibe going up against Washington State, and players have to be careful that they don't, you know, overlook them the way that Washington State can easily get overlooked. So I think that's one. But you asked for two more. I've got two more. Cal at home. Again, I'm glad this game is coming at Austin Stadium in the cozy confines of a, a screaming crowd. I think years ago, uh, I forget who it was. It was like a long, long time ago. I think an Arizona football player described Austin as screaming milk. Weird comment, but it is very loud there, as we all know. And it gives me a great sense of comfort that both these games are going to happen there. But same sort of thing with the emotional letdown. Cal comes immediately after Utah. Now, Utah is not a game that I expect to win because Utah at home is really, really good. They have been for a for a while now. They have not lost at home with fans in the stands since before the pandemic, okay? It's been a minute. They beat teams badly there. They beat USC there. We know what happened there in 2021. That's going to be a tough game. But again, you could have a lot of hype. You could have a lot of pomp, a lot of circumstance coming back home and facing a Cal team that's been mediocre to below average the entire time Justin Wilcox has been there, I think, again, presents an easy opportunity for them to get overlooked. But I've talked about Cal quite a bit on my Locked On Pac-12 show, and it's good for us as Duck fans to have an understanding of where the other teams are at in the conference. Cal is one of my favorite preseason bets in the conference. I like them to go over four and a half wins. Their win total, according to FanDuel Sportsbook, is four and a half. That's tied for the second lowest in the conference with Arizona and Arizona State. And it's only one win ahead of Stanford and Colorado. And yet, even though that game is played at Autzen Stadium, I am not going to look at it and say, mm, boy, that reeks of a trap game. Or, or, or sorry, mm, I'm not going to look at it and I'm not 
going to look at it and say, sorry, all out of sorts right now. I'm not going to look at it and say, mm, boy, they're not going to have a problem here, right? Now, Oregon was hanging around uh, or letting Cal hang around rather a season ago in Berkeley. And then we middle aided them, which is when the middle eight was what Dan Lanning's calling card was a season ago in Oregon would dominate in that space. We built a 28 to 10 lead, uh, you know, going into the half and coming out of it. And then boom, we won the game pretty comfortably, got backups in by the end of it. But I am pretty high on Cal for Cal, right? I think they'll go over four and a half. I'm, I'm not saying they're a nine, 10 win team or anything like that. But the reason that I'm high on Cal is very well founded in what they have done this offseason, much like why I'm high on a lot of college football teams because of what they've done in the offseason. Now, this summer, we all need to be wearing bird dog shorts because they are basically a one-stop shop for rocking it and looking good throughout the summer. They give you everything you need, right? You can wear them swimming. You can wear them out for barbecue, wear them out for a picnic, wear them on a hike, wear them to the golf course, wear them on a walk, wear them around the house, wear them wherever you want. Their versatility is maybe their best trait, but they also look great. They fit awesome and they're super, super comfortable and easy to wear. So go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. When you enter the promo code locked on college, they'll throw in a free custom bird dogs, Yeti style tumbler with every order, which is a pretty sweet combination because you're getting that for free. And you're getting one-stop shop shorts for this summer, which is thriving in Oregon right now. And I can't wait to go back there. So go to birddogs.com slash locked on college. When you enter promo code locked on college, they'll throw in that free bird dogs, Yeti style tumbler with every order. Go get your next order and enjoy your summer. So the reason I'm high on Cal is would it surprise you to know that the 15th best transfer portal class in the country, top 15, belongs to the California Golden Bears. Now, they were a 4-8 and eight team a year ago. Correct. They were 5-7 and seven the year before. Correct. But they've brought in a new offensive coordinator, long overdue. They got a new offensive line coach. They've added new players on the offensive line. They've got a new quarterback, and they've got a new offensive coordinator, as I already mentioned, I'm pretty sure. So, they are completely revitalizing what they always need to do, which is have better O-line play. Theirs was terrible a season ago. I think it was one of the worst in the Pac-12 up there with Colorado. And they're revitalizing their offensive philosophy. They've brought in Sam Jackson, a four-star quarterback from TCU, who's got a big arm and who is crazy fast and athletic. He is a legit prospect, and he's going to be their starter. That's not the sort of guy they've had in the last several years. They've done great things with their running back room. They've got our, our old friend Byron Cardwell. They've got Jaden Ott, who's a stud. They brought in a guy from Tennessee as well. They've got a couple nice weapons on the perimeter, two coming in via the portal, one returning in Jeremiah Hunter. They lost J. Michael Sturdivant, who's a really, really good wide receiver. He went to UCLA, but still, the weapons are there. They've revamped the offense. The defense, you know, is always going to be solid and competitive, right? If Wilcox ever was relieved of his duties as Cal's head coach, I think he'd get picked up as a defensive coordinator pretty quickly. I think he's really sharp on that side of the ball, and he showed that at Washington, helping to lead them to the college football playoff. So Cal is trap game number two. The third one went back and forth here, but I'm going Arizona State because I am more worried about some weird stumble happening in the desert than I am on the farm at Stanford, right? That was the other one that kind of stood out to me in that sense. But 
I think that Stanford is going to be the worst team in the Pac-12 this year. Arizona State, look, they've brought in a boatload of transfers. Not super high expectations there for them. But do I think they could be better than Stanford? Yes. They beat Washington a season ago. They're going to be a better team than they were last year. And they've got another old friend of ours, Kenny Dillingham, who we know can put together an offense. So they've got, and also they brought in Brian Ward to be their defensive coordinator from Washington State. Really, really good hire. Really, really good hire by Dillingham down there. So those would be my top three trap games, Washington State, Cal, and Arizona State. Curious to your guys' thoughts as well. As always, YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at Smalls underscore 55 or at Locked on Ducks. This question from Oregon Man 22. Hey, Spencer, was wondering your thoughts on uh, team message boards, Oklahoma, changing recruiting. Saw some bad stuff about uh, Zadavian Sims that was said by fans, and both Stone and Sims commented on them. Yes, this is an important thing to bring up, an important thing to remember for all of you fans out there. We play a role in driving the success of a program. We play a role in driving the entire sport because without fans, the sport does not exist, right? The whole infrastructure of college sports and professional sports exist because there's money to be made. Why is there money to be made? Because we, the fans, are there. We will pay money to watch people play. We will buy gear. We will buy tickets. People will donate. It all comes through the fans. So it's not as if we're just completely disconnected from the programs, right? That's that's why people stay involved. But as a fan, I think this is a good mantra to follow. Be passionate. But don't be irrational. And there were some Oklahoma fans who said some really unsavory things about Sedavian Sims. And the point that Oregon Man 22 is raising here is correct. We are not completely isolated in our own bubble. This is the social media world, right? This stuff got picked up by actual recruits. Now, is Oklahoma going to fail to land David Stone because of this? No. But is it a good look? Absolutely not. Is it hurting their chances? I'd have to imagine it would. I have never been a high school recruit. I never was. Obviously, I never will be. But if I were weighing my options here and trying to find a differentiating factor between this school and that school, yeah, I would consider something like this and say, eh, yeah, I I didn't like the way those fans treated my guy over here when he made his decision I don't know if I want to reward them in that sense. Now, maybe other factors can overcome those potential obstacles, but I would rather that obstacle for Oregon never exist. So like I said, be passionate, but don't be irrational. And another thing on that particular point, do not pretend that every fan base is completely infallible. Okay, for the same reason that I came on here and said it's ridiculous that this you know, Oregon State legislature bill would you know, punish athletic directors and coaches for the bad actions of fans. That's completely ridiculous. I do not hold elected officials accountable for every crime committed in society, because unless you have a police state for every single house, you cannot guard against every single bad thing that will happen. You cannot control an entire fan base. And by the way, as someone who's lived in Oklahoma and talked to a lot of people out there, that is in no way representative the same way those Oregon fans who chanted that stupid thing about BYU, was they were not representative of the Oregon fans. Do not let this 
influenced your broad perception of Oklahoma fans, right? Now, that's something we can all say and think and should be able to understand. But young kids who are weighing their options here, it can only do harm to your chances of getting these sorts of recruits. And it's not a good look for the university. We do represent the university when we're on uh, when we're on social media talking with other fans or when we're you know bickering in public or someone does something stupid right none of that is helpful none of that is constructive and none of that is, is the sort of energy and passion that you should have with regards to a college football or, or or basketball program across the country so i saw it didn't like the comments obviously and just hope it serves as a reminder to all of us that our passion is welcome. It's necessary even for a program to succeed, right? There is no successful program in the country that doesn't have a passionate fan base. The two go hand in hand. But that doesn't mean that we should allow ourselves an outsized perception of the role that we play as fans and supporters of these teams and of these kids. And we should not forget that everything that you put online can be made public and can reflect poorly on the school, right? So those comments that got flying around were probably more, you know, viewed more on uh, on Twitter once it started getting shared than they were actually viewed on the Oklahoma message boards. But guess what? It got back to those kids and I wouldn't want that happening to Oregon recruits. So anyway, those are my thoughts on, uh, on that. All right, next question rolling through here. Uh, this one came in from Rick wondering about Ty Thompson's snap count. So we talked about Ty the other day on the show. And the prospect of him actually being able to start as Oregon's quarterback one day. The thought is not impossible. It does appear to be less likely with the number of quarterbacks that are not just available in the portal nowadays, but also that Oregon's adding, right? You've got Austin Novosad, you've got Michael Van Buren, you've got Luke Moga as young guys who are coming in behind him. And adding two in the 2024 cycle makes you wonder how much faith do they have in Ty to be ready to start next year? But growth is still possible, right? The second half of the spring game, Ty looked much better. It was the best we've it was the best stretch of football we've ever seen from him. Unfortunately, the first half also happened, and it was the same sorts of mistakes and limitations that we've seen, right? Not able to execute basic throws, not in command of the offense, a little bit robotic, not comfortable in the pocket, all this sort of stuff. So the question about whether or not he can develop is a question that he's going to have to answer himself because the light has to go on. And look, uh, I think it was Russell Wilson years ago said the light went on in like year three in the NFL. Maybe that's what will happen for Ty Thompson. Maybe it'll all start clicking this fall. I'm not getting my hopes up about that, but I'm not going to rule it out and say it's completely and utterly impossible. But th there's another thing to consider here when you're thinking about Ty Thompson and whether or not he can develop into a starting quarterback. Sorry, I needed a sip of water there. I had to rest the throat. Done a lot of talking today per our usual arrangement. Not just on this show, but on uh, other ones too. But anyway, so Ty Thompson's snap count in actual games has been very, very low. And as we've seen, it never felt like they've, you know, given him an actual normal offense or playbook to run. They just kind of have him hand it off, run some screens and this sort of stuff. But Maybe that's because he hasn't shown an ability to execute, execute it consistently in practice. Could be, but just some information that Rick was looking for here. In 2022, Ty Thompson took 66 snaps. That's not a lot at quarterback. In actual game 
in, in, in an actual game. In his career, two seasons, yeah, his completion percentage is 51%. That's terrible. He's got two touchdowns and three picks. That's not very good either. One of them wasn't his fault, by the way. But still, two to three. Yeah, that's not very good either. He's thrown 35 passes. I couldn't find the snap counts. PFF didn't have that going back to 2021. But 66 snaps a year ago, it's not very many. 35 pass attempts in games. And the game reps are where his limitations really, really shine through. Maybe he just needs more of those. I I, I I can't say for certain, right? That's going to come down to Ty. That's going to come down to Will Stein. And that's going to come down to the entire team, you know, being a unit around him that can allow him to succeed. So the snap counts have been very, very low, thankfully, because that means the starters are not getting hurt. But you do have to, I, I think, wonder on some level, does he just need more time and does he need, like, I, I understand that people are going to say, no, if he hasn't shown it now, then he doesn't have it. I tend to agree with that. But for some guys, the development is slower, right? Tyler Shock didn't start for two years behind Justin Herbert, started in year three. Looked like in year three, by the way, he still had room to grow. So if, if Thompson had followed the Shuck timeline, he would be starting this year. Right. If Bonix weren't able to come back and tie with a starter, it'd be the same timeline. And when Tyler Shuck started that season, did some really good things, but also it never really clicked for him. But then he went to Texas Tech and he's had success over there. He's won football games at the power five level. He's been the best version, I think, of himself that he can be in college. And we're going to see that on on September 9th, I think, is the game down in Lubbock. So. Some guys, it might just take longer. That That's kind of the optimistic view, of course. The pessimistic view is if you're a big-time recruit like that and you, you still make the same mistakes in your third year of college football as you kind of did in your first and you haven't shown that much growth in that sense, then you might not be the guy. Could be. Could absolutely be the case. But 66 is a pretty low number for a number of snaps he's actually taken in the game. And if you were ever given a prolonged opportunity – if, you know, like if Bo Nix, God forbid, were to get hurt this year and Ty were forced into action and he had to play, like say he had to start two or three games, if he were better at the end of that third game than when he first got in, then I'd say, okay, maybe this guy did just need uh, some more actual action in there. But great question. As always, keep him coming. This is a fun one uh, to wrap up today's show from Beginner Catholic regular question asker and every day are here on the show. Good morning, Spencer. I have yet another question that just popped into my noggin. Nice vocab word, noggin. You can host five Oregon quarterbacks for a barbecue. Who are you inviting and what are you serving? Also, what is your preferred grilling method? Gas, pellet, charcoal, or wood fire? Well, if I had my pick, I would go with wood fire or charcoal. I think that gives you the best flavor in there. But if I'm cooking for that many people, gas might be the more practical option at, at that point in time. If I were going for that many, I personally, boy, that, that's tough. If it's summer barbecue, right? Like burgers are the default answer. I would go steaks. I I, I would go steaks because I feel like when you're dealing with football players, you want to have like a big meat option, right? So I'll go, you know, any guy's preferred steak, whether that's uh, I could buy some tomahawk steaks, ribeye, T-bone, filet mignon, whatever you want. I'm a big filet guy. If you got the right sauce to go with it, filet mignon, little bearnaise, 
That is chef's kiss right there. But which five Oregon quarterbacks am I inviting? Uh, let's get the easy ones off the board. That's Marcus Mariota, Justin Herbert, and uh, I guess those are the, the easy ones. If I can only choose five, I definitely go with those two. Uh, Dennis Dixon would be in there. Um, Joey Harrington would have to be in there. I, I would probably go. That fifth one is tough. That fifth one is 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 really really tough. I think Joey and Achille have to be there. Mariota and Herbert have to be there. I just I, I the answer the answer just came to me. Achille Smith is the other one. So I I'd go. But then you have Dan Fouts left out of it. Like top five top five is tough. But I would lean towards guys that I'd seen play. So you know Dixon. Mariota, Herbert, and then I, I would go with I would go with Joey Harrington and just by a sliver, Achilles Smith, because his son's a 2025 quarterback recruit, and it would be cool to see him play for the Ducks. If that would help, hey, you never know. But honorable mention on that list, Dan Fouts for sure. Darren Thomas. Gosh, I like Vernon Adams. Kellen Clemens. All, all would be honorable mention on that list. Curious who your, your top fives would be. Let me know. You know how at this point. Appreciate everyone listening. See you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day and go Ducks.